We are wrapping up a series on heaven, and I wanted to have a fifth week. We've had four weeks of this already talking about what kind of bodies will we have in heaven, what kind of relationships will we have in heavens who's going to heaven. You can jump on centeringlives.com if you missed any of those lessons, and I'd love for you to hear all those again. But today, I wanted to answer or address a few questions and talk about some things I didn't know where to put them in those first four lessons, and plus I've been getting emails, and some of you have been stopping me as I meet you somewhere and say, I got a question. And so I've told you, well, we'll get to that. And so today's where we get to that. And so I hope this will be really helpful to you and help you think about heaven a little more. And the reason that's important is point A on the sermon notes. If you've got those with you, I'd ask you to look at those. And for those of you who are watching us online, um, just go to centeringlives.com. You can download the sermon notes there. And you can follow along as well. It's important because God wants us to think about the realities of heaven all the time so we can view our lives, our circumstances, our relationships from God's perspective. And if you just circle the word perspective on there, that's the key to the whole thing. Paul wrote about this in Colossians 3. He said, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. We're supposed to think about the things of heaven more than we think about the things of earth. Well, why would that be important? Well, listen, if we actually believe that we're going to live in heaven for 80 trillion years, then if we go through hardship even for 80 years here, Paul says we, need, we can think of our difficulties as a light and momentary affliction. I mean, 80 versus 80 trillion, that gives us a different perspective. And if we're going to spend 80 trillion years in heaven, why would I spend whatever time I have on this earth storing up wealth that I'm not going to take with me anyway? I mean, Jesus said, why would you store up stuff here that people just steal and it's going to rust and fall apart? You should store up treasures in heaven. That's where you're going to have it forever. And then also the whole business of Everybody in heaven, everybody going to heaven will have had all their sins forgiven by Jesus. If that's good news to you, will you say amen? amen. Well, hold on. There's a flip side, okay? Because <laughs> Jesus said, look, I'm going to forgive you all of your sins, like all of them. Every careless word, every wicked thought, everything you should have done, you didn't do, everything you did do, but you did it halfway, all the stuff that my goodness, you did wrong. I'm going to forgive all of it. So now I need you to forgive somebody who sins against you. And if I'm thinking in terms of heaven, well, if everybody there has had all their sins forgiven, including me, who am I to hang on and hold a grudge against somebody who hurt my feelings desperately, no matter how bad it was? No applause on that one. Anyway, okay, so no, but okay, we got one. All right. <laughs> But, but the point is, is this, is this is why it matters we think about heaven. It changes our perspective on everything. On our relationships, on our lives, our circumstances, all of it. Now I have another note here that's important too. This is one thing the devil does not want us thinking about. He does not want us thinking about the realities of heaven. That is the last thing he wants us doing. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. 
The good news that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for all our sins, that all who come to him can have their sins washed away, that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and he'll give us the desire and the power to do what pleases God. We can live a whole new life now and an eternal life in God's presence in heaven. Satan does not want us thinking about that. Ephesians 2, 2, Paul again. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. The devil wants us following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. He does not want us thinking about heaven. He doesn't want people to go to heaven. He rebelled against God. It entered his heart that he would set his throne above the most high. He is a rebel. He taught Adam and Eve and he tricked them into following him. That's what the sin in the Garden of Eden was, to eat of the forbidden fruit, to rebel against God. God gave Adam and Eve that test because he wanted them to freely love him. And Satan said, you know, if God told you not to eat of that fruit, he's holding out on you. I'll show you the best way. Listen to me. And he's still doing that same stuff today. And so he does not want us studying God's word. He doesn't want us thinking about heaven. The way you think about heaven, think about the devil thinking about heaven. I guess that's kind of a sentence. Okay. I think it's always helpful to think that he would be like a deposed, wicked dictator driven out of a country. How would that wicked dictator feel, feel about the new government and the new freedoms that came in after he was driven out? We would hate that country and he would hate that government because he had a different plan for the whole thing. And if you think about the most petty, jealous, horrible person you've ever met, multiply it times a billion and you'd be at Satan. And if he's not going to heaven and he's not, he's not, then he doesn't want you and me to go either. He hates God, he hates God's people, and he blasphemes the Lord blasphemes any talk about heaven. So I want us to pray today that we'll t think about the realities of heaven. There are a lot of myths, and I'll try to address some of those as we go through some of these thoughts today. I organized this so I could answer as many questions as I've received over the last month as I possibly can. So we're going to walk straight through it. If this doesn't answer all the questions, and it won't, that you have, then my email is at the end of this outline, and I'd welcome your questions. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today, and I thank you that we can talk a little bit more about heaven. Lord, every time we stop and think about heaven, our whole perspective changes. If we're going to be there for 80 trillion years, why would I hang on to a grudge against somebody who did something against me five years ago or 20 years ago? What's 20 years versus 80 trillion and why would I try to stack up a bunch of stuff I can't take with me anyway? And why would I obsess about the hardship I'm going through right now when I know in heaven none of that will be there, no matter how hard it is? <sighs> gives me so much hope. gives me so much joy. gives me so much peace to think about heaven. Please, Lord, help us think about heaven, the realities of it today. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray these things. 
Lord, I want you to speak and move me out of the way. Tell us what we need to know today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Point B, heaven will not be boring. Believe it or not, I have shared the gospel with people, told them about Jesus, told them that they can go to heaven, and they go, I don't want to go to heaven. Sounds boring. And I ask them, well, what's heaven like? Well, it's a place where you sit on top of pink puffy clouds, and there's little fat little angels shooting uh, Valentine's Day heart arrows at people helping them fall in love. And we play harps up there. I go, where'd you get that? I don't know, a Hallmark movie or something. I don't know. Uh, or a Valentine's Day card. Well, there are all kinds of things. I mean, I've literally had people tell me, it just sounds boring. I mean, just sit around and do nothing all day. Well, that's not what the Bible says about heaven. By the way, here's a, if anybody ever says to you, I think heaven will be boring, here's a great scripture to read to them. Psalm, 160, I mean, Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Man, could we read that verse out loud, please? In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. More joy than you've ever experienced, more pleasures than you can imagine are all around God all the time. Do you know why heaven's not boring? Because God is not boring. I mean, God is creative. He made this world. God is brilliant. He put it all together so it all works together. He has a sense of humor. He made you and me. <laughs> God is not boring. Here are a couple of dimensions of this. God will reward faithful stewardship on earth with exciting work and challenging responsibilities in heaven. That's, why, that's one reason it won't be boring. In heaven, we'll have things to do. What things? I don't know. The Bible doesn't unpack them all. But when Jesus was talking about heaven, he told a parable. He said, if you want to know what heaven's going to be like, it's like a man who had these faithful stewards and he gave them each a certain amount of money and resources to manage while he went away on a long trip. And when he came back, he asked them what they'd done with it. To one of the uh, servants, he gave them five bags of gold, if you will. The next one, two, and the other one, one. And the, this is what he said to the one who had received five, and he brought them back with five more. He said, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You go, I got to work in heaven? I thought it was supposed to be a great place. I hate going to work. Well, I want to remind you, we've talked about it over the last few weeks, that heaven is Eden restored. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to work it and tend it. And that's what they were doing before they sinned. Work was not a consequence of sin. You go, yes, it was. You don't know where I work. You just don't know. <laughs> I do know we live in a fallen world and we can't imagine what it would be like to be in a work environment where every day the job was stimulating and fun. Occasionally we'll have these days. Occasionally we might have a job that we just absolutely love. But even in those jobs, there's just, ah, oh, there's broken relationships, there's disappointments, there are things that are just wrong. In heaven, it won't be like that. I mean, listen to this again. He goes, you've been faithful. One of the rewards in heaven for faithful people on earth, Jesus said, it's going to be like this. God's going to rewrite us 
reward us with new and better responsibilities. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. I have no idea what all that would mean. But it won't be boring. Pleasures forevermore. Joy unspeakable. Going to work. Some of you are going, okay, I can't even hear anymore. This is unbelievable. All right. <laughs> Secondly, we'll experience the best art, food, music, etc., from all the cultures of the world. Where are you getting that, John? John, the disciple, had a glimpse of heaven, and one of the things he saw was this. He said that when he saw a glimpse of the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, I mean, New Jerusalem coming down from heaven. He said, its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. If you want to picture what that would look like, you write in the margin, Isaiah chapter 60. In the first 11 verses there, you'll see that, that there was a promise that one day people would come from all over the earth and they would bring the best of their land into Jerusalem. The best spices, the best gold, the best they have, their best sheep, everything, they would bring them in in Isaiah 60. And this is the thought here that when people from all over the earth, and there will be people from every tribe, nation, and tongue in heaven, they will be there and we're going to be fellowshipping with them. I mean, the best food, the best art, the best music, and we won't have forgotten all that. We'll share it and it'll all be to God's glory. A few years ago, Debbie and I became close friends with a, a Filipino couple that was here and they were studying at Maxwell in the officer training school there. And at the end of the officer training program, they have a day, it's an international fair where everybody from whatever country they come from, they bring their best, their favorite dish. And so you go into this big hangar there on Maxwell and there's all these different people dressed in their, in native garb in a lot of cases and other things. And there's every kind of food. There's, there's fruits I've never even seen before. There's food you taste. And I made the mistake. They said, do you like spicy food? And I said, yes. I was like, oh, that's really spicy. Okay. But it was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, we tasted food. I've never even had flavor like that before. And if you've traveled internationally, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Imagine people from every time, place, nation, and tribe bringing their best all for the glory of God. That's who will be there, the people who love Jesus from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Why would we think that eating in heaven would be terrible? It's going to be amazing. You're thinking about heaven. Oh, this pleases the Lord when we're doing this. Work will be amazing in heaven. Food will be amazing in heaven. Music will be amazing in heaven. It's not boring. It's not. Point three, we'll participate in amazing worship experiences in heaven. Revelation 7. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people. This is what we were just talking about. Language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes, and they held palm branches in their hands. This is just a mirror image of what happened on Palm Sunday. Remember, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, this is everybody holding a palm branch. 
praising Jesus. Too many people to count. Hmm. They were clothed in white robes. I mean, all their sins, it's what we talked about also, all their sins have been washed away. Hmm. And they were shouting with a great war. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around, and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped God. And they sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. So we not only will have the best worship music from people on earth, we're going to have the best worship music of angels. What does that even sound like? I have no idea. I love it when people come out of a worship service and they're excited here. I've shared with Simi before one of my favorite <laughs> memories of worship here as a part of this church it was a few years ago when we asked everybody to move in just like we did this morning to create more seats. And one of the ushers came up to a woman and she was, uh, she was singing. She had her hands raised to the Lord. And the usher said, ma'am, can we slide past you? She goes, I'm worshiping. Leave me alone. <laughs> I was standing right back. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, leave me alone. What's that going to be like to worship with angels, people from all over the world? And apparently, you know, some people have speculated there will be um, one language everybody has in common, but we'll also be able, we'll have millions and millions of years, we'll be able to learn the languages on earth we never could learn. I don't know. I mean, they're all shouting in one voice, so maybe there's heavenese. <laughs> Do we all speak? I don't know. You're thinking about heaven. Do you understand how happy this makes our heavenly father? He told his disciples, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. When everything's ready, I'll come get you. And it's going to be amazing. I want you to be with me wherever I am. I've got exciting work for you that will never be boring. We've got amazing worship services up there you can't even imagine. You're going to eat the best food, and you're going to see the best art, and you're going to hear the best music from the people of all the ages, and you'll be able to understand it all because you'll have a brand new body with a better brain. Mm. Fourthly, we'll feast and celebrate. I've mentioned how good the food will be. We'll feast and celebrate with God's people from all times and places. I mean, if you're going, John, I think, I don't know where you're getting. Jesus talked about this. Here's what he said. I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and they'll sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. All over the world, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will be there. Like, this is different. Those are different time periods in themselves. They'll all be there, and we'll meet them. We'll get to know everybody else in heaven. Too many people to count. John, that would take forever. <laughs> yes, it will. We got plenty of time. No one will ever say, I wish I had more time. In fact, there's a quote on the back of your uh, little notes here. Uh, it's the middle quote by J.I. Packer. He said, hearts on earth may say in the course of a joyful experience, 
I don't want this to ever end, but invariably it does. The hearts of those in heaven say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. There is no better news than this. Man, that guy could write. I want this to go on forever. It will. Heaven is not boring. Never believe that. Point C, I want to remind us that after death, those who have a personal relationship with Jesus go immediately into his presence, but those who do not will be separated from him forever. A number of you have written me emails. Other people stop me and say, well, okay, but I understand you're talking about heaven someday and the new heaven and the new earth, but what happens to us after we die right now? And I'm going to show you some scriptures here. I'm going to mention a few more that you can look them up. It's basically, and there are, there are only a few scriptures that mention what happens between the time we die and the time when there's the great judgment day, the great white throne judgment. And so I'm going to give you some scriptures now that give us some clues, but there's not a lot written. This is where we're going to have to trust the Lord. So I'm going to tell you what I think is pretty clear. When Jesus was dying on the cross, if you remember, he died between two criminals. One of them mocked him. The other did not. One of the criminals hanging beside him said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you'll be with me in paradise. And if you'd circle the word paradise, we're going to come back to that. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Paul comments on the same thing, 2 Corinthians 5. So we're always confident, even though we know, as long as we live in these bodies, our earthly bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. I mean, Paul was the one who wrote to the Corinthians about that we need new imperishable bodies. These have to be replaced. These bodies are not designed to live forever. And we did a whole message on this a couple weeks ago. Please go back and watch that. These bodies that we have right now, they're not meant to live forever, but we live by believing, not by seeing. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For those of us who have faith in Jesus, when we die, we immediately go into God's presence. But for those, of us, those people who do not have a relationship with Jesus, they'll be separated from him forever. Where do you get that idea? Well, it's from a story that Jesus told, and this is from Luke 16. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus, and by the way, Lazarus is from Eleazar. It's just a um, name that means the man that God helps. As Lazarus lay there, Longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. So that tells you how bad off he was. This man had some kind of illness that probably paralyzed him. He had bed sores. Nobody gave him anything. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. And I'll explain this a little clearer in just a moment. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. 
But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now here, now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can, uh, can cross over to us from there. And then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers that I want, I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone sent, is sent to them from the dead, well, then they'll repent of their sins and they'll turn to God. But Abraham said, even if, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus told this story before he rose from the dead. And he predicted that even if he would rise from the dead, people wouldn't believe put together a kind of a little timeline here that will help explain some of the things that were being discussed there in that story. In this timeline, this is the day I'm born. And this is the day that I die. So 50 years, 60 years, 100 years, whatever it is. And when Jesus is telling the story, he said, Lazarus went to paradise. This is where Abraham and the faithful saints in the Old Testament went to the place awaiting the final judgment, a place where they would immediately be in God's presence. And so Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. When the rich man died, he went, in the Old Testament, they called it Sheol. In the New Testament, they used the word Hades. It meant the realm of the wicked dead. And it was a place of punishment awaiting the final judgment. But it was an interim place. The Bible tells us there will one day be a white throne judgment. It's in Revelation chapter 21. And um, I'm sorry, Chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. I'll just read it to you here. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And the earth and sky fled from his presence. But they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. And then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so what scripture teaches is there will be a great white throne judgment. And we talked about this extensively a few weeks ago, what heaven would be like. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, well, we don't have to worry about being judged on the things we've done. All our sins have been forgiven. The only thing we need to say is if someone would ask, why should John Schmidt be in heaven? Because Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for all my sins. He adopted me into his family. He has washed those sins away, made me clean, given me his Holy Spirit. And he promised me a place here. And that's why I'm coming. Filthy, rotten sinner that I am. Oh, praise Jesus, he made me clean. And Jesus said that for the righteous, he'll say, 
enter into my father's rest. But for the wicked, they would go to this place, the lake of fire, hell, or in Old Testament times, Gehenna. That was a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where they burned the entrails of the animals that were sacrificed and other trash. Place filled, teeming with maggots, rotting flesh. The burning never stopped. That was the picture. And Jesus was talking about that in this story. And so when we talk about this story, there are a couple of observations that are very important. And I'd like to point those out to you. First of all, after death, both Lazarus and the rich man were fully conscious, recognizable, and aware of their surroundings. They were able to communicate in full possession of their identities. I just want to remind you, Lazarus was still Lazarus. The rich man was still rich man. Abraham was still Abraham. And they knew exactly who they'd been in this world. There was no memory wipe, none of that. Secondly, after death, Lazarus was in comfort while the rich man was in endless torment. Now, this would have been a shock to the religious leaders of Jesus' day because they believed that if you were blessed financially, then that means God gave you his approval on everything you were doing. And Jesus called out the religious leaders in this over and over again. He said, you love money so much and you think that God just blesses you. Everything you say is right because you've been blessed financially. Because it's ridiculous. You worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You're filled with greed and you're filled with selfishness. He said, God sends the rain on the good and the wicked alike. He's just kind. And you misinterpret the whole thing. They'd have been shocked. And this is Jesus talking about these final destinations here. At the end of the world, the angels will come and they'll separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The wicked are people who will not come. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago too. It's also important from this story to understand that after death, neither Lazarus nor the rich man could change his eternal destiny. Remember, there was a great gulf. Lazarus can't cross over. You can't cross over. Hebrews 9.27 says this. Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. It's immediate. At the great white throne judgment, it becomes permanent. Kind of like you get a learner's permit when you're 16, when you're 15, you get the permanent license when you're 16. After death, the rich man became concerned about the spiritual warfare, welfare of his brothers. So we are Christ's ambassadors, Paul says. God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we plead, come back to God. The rich man was saying, least send Lazarus to get my brothers. He wasn't even arguing for his own freedom. He knew where he was. And I wish now I wouldn't have even said about the learner's permit. This is not a place where you can do time, do 10,000 years, and get out early for good behavior. 
That's not, we're, talk, we're not talking about limbo. We're not talking about purgatory here. In theological circles, circles this is called the intermediate state or the interim state. And this is called the eternal state. If you read articles on this. He was terribly concerned about his brothers when it was too late. I've shared with some of you before one of the heartbreaking things for me when I do funerals is occasionally I will meet people. Uh, it happened again a couple of years ago. Two sisters. Uh, one of them passed. The older of them passed. She was in her late 50s. And the younger sister and I had met together with some friends and we had helped develop a funeral so we could say the things that needed to be said about her. And I saw her the next day at the funeral and she hadn't slept all night. She said, I didn't sleep all night. I was going, well, why not? She said, you asked a question. What had my conversations with my sister been about eternity and where she stood with the Lord? And she broke down and wept and she said, my sister and I talked about everything. We talked about our husbands. We talked about our kids. We talked about our futures. We talked about money, politics, you name it. We talked about everything. And I've known her for 55 years, but we never talked about Jesus. And she said, now it's too late. I thought we'd have more time. Jesus meant for us to think things like this about heaven. And that's why he said, hey, it's important that people repent. This is point five on your outline here. God does not want people to go to hell. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. That's the word repent. At the top of the page, you'll see where the rich man is saying in the story, if someone is sent to them from the dead, my brothers will repent. And Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't. Our chance is to listen to the word of God and repent today. I don't know how long each of us has. And it's important to not miss the opportunities we have to discuss this. And one last thing, I just gotta cover this very quickly because I got a lot of questions about this. We have, point D, we have the inspiring examples of men and women who witness God's faithfulness to encourage us until we join them in heaven. This is from Hebrews 12.1. We're not the first people to face this challenge. We're not the first people to be struggling with our own lives while trying to tell others about the goodness of God. We're not the first people. In fact, this is from Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 is just a whole laundry list of people, of people that were faithful. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up, so easily trips us up. Let's run with endurance the grace, the race that God has set before us. Mm. God's heart would be, come to me. God's heart would be for those of us who've come to him, invite your friends. 
There's plenty of room in my father's house. Invite them to come. The work that will be amazing. The food will be amazing. The worship services will be amazing. The feasting will be amazing from people of all ages, times, nations, and tongues. It's going to be better than anything you've ever seen. You're going to hear the hymns that angels write. And it's all available to you if you come, if you repent of your sins and acknowledge this. Then when you die, that day you'll be with Jesus in paradise. And there's no fear of the coming judgment day. There's no fear. Our sins have been paid in full. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It's finished. Paid in full. John Schmidt's sins are paid in full. So I can stand here and take the receipt. The receipt is God's word. And he told, he told those stories because there were people who mocked him in his day. And they said, well, I'm doing fine. I got lots of money. I'm better. I must be better than most. God must think I'm better than everybody else. And he goes, do you not understand? Do you understand how any of this works? You got it all wrong. I remember the devil would love to make us think that way. He's not going to heaven and he didn't want anybody else to go either. I'm going to pray for us today. I'm going to ask God to speak to us out of what we've heard. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the wonderful news today. And I pray that your heart came through on this. You want people to come to you. You want people to repent of their sins and be baptized. You want people to experience eternal life. Lord, you'll give us the power to forgive. We just need to come to you. You'll give us the power to get our priorities right. We just need to come to you. You'll give us the power to endure even the most painful circumstances. We just need to come to you, no matter who we are or what we've done. Please make this clear. And Lord, for those of us who've been Christians for a while, please remind us to not quit praying for our daughters and sons and cousins and coworkers and neighbors who don't know you yet. And Lord, if we have the opportunity, oh God, help us make the most of it. Give us the words to say and give us the courage to say, I tell you this because I want you to know the best thing that ever happened to me. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Can't wait to see heaven, Lord. Cannot wait. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.